good afternoon. Someone read that uh, introduction and said, and one occasional shrink. And I thought, with all of that, I'd need it, wouldn't I? (laughs) Skunk, shrink, a little bit the same. Anyway, um, I just wanted to thank you so much for inviting me down here today, especially since it's 35 degrees in Flagstaff. It makes me especially glad to be here. It really does. But I have so enjoyed this special feature today and the singing and the food. And mostly everybody just looks great out there. I mean, I loved being able to travel and come to a luncheon like this. And I'd like to particularly recognize there's a lot of ladies that put a lot of hours into putting this together. If they wouldn't mind just standing up for a minute and we could give them a round of applause just to thank them for all of their efforts. This isn't easy. Thank you, ladies. Thank you very much. I feel like I'm kind of lost back here. I've never been known for my height, so I think I'll squeeze out here a little bit. (laughs) Is that okay? If I trip over anything, will somebody come rescue me? (laughs) Please. Thank you. Um, You know, you guys all look so great out there, and I was just thinking back to when... um, I've gotten a lot of stuff for Christmas to make myself supposedly look more beautiful, you know, the bath salts and all that kind of thing. And uh, before Valentine's Day, I decided to have my at-home spa day. So I took all this stuff and gathered it together. And one of the first things I'd gotten was these gold lame rollers that you twist your hair up in them, and then you twist them around the hair and tie them up, and then you it's, your hair is supposed to make into long ringlets like that. So you put them all over your head. So I had gold lame fuzz coming all around my head, okay? The next thing I decided to do was take the, I got the Dead Sea Scroll mud that you're supposed to put on your face and it's supposed to make you beautiful. Now, I don't know who came up with that name, but it's green. And I thought, well, all right, well, I'll give anything a try once. So I smithered it all over my face. And of course, I have two little holes for my eyes and my mouth is frozen shut like this. So I got the green and the gold going. I'm really you know, in color here. Uh, next thing I do is I put on my old sweats that are all spotted from all the blonde um, lightener I put on my hair. <laughs> anyway, and then I decide to do my toes. And, um, you know, in order to do your toes, you've got to put the bright pink little separators between your toes. And so I'm walking around like this in my sweatsuit, in my gold lame, and in my green mud. And all of a sudden I hear a noise outside. I'm going, what is that? And I think, oh, my goodness, it's the garbage man. It's garbage day, and I forgot to put out the garbage. You know, oh, no, now what do I do? And I thought, oh, heck, it's just the garbage man. So I go running out there, running out there, and he's driving by, and I'm going, hey, wait, am I too late to the garbage? He takes one look at me and goes, no, ma'am, hop right in. (laughs) Do you ever have days like that? I call them garbage days. You know, where you just as soon hop right in. You might as well. Your whole life is in the pits anyway. And, you know, it just seems like, um, I don't know, we all can look so great on the outside, but we all go through garbage days. Sometimes they spread into weeks, sometimes into months, sometimes even years, don't they? And it becomes very difficult even to get up in the morning, much less try to look good and go chasing after the things of life. You know, that's something that really gets me is that we can really pretty ourselves up really good, and it can go very, very far to cover a breaking heart. 
And it just seems in this day and age that increasingly there's more and more sorrows in our day and age. Um, you know, my, I grew up in the 50s, and I'll bet if I would have addressed a room like this back then and said, you know, how many of you are in a state of crisis, or are you close to someone who is? And back then, maybe one or two people would have raised their hands. But I would bet if I ask each one of you individually, are you in a state of crisis or are you real close to someone who is? Someone who's going through maybe um, the death of a loved one, maybe children or grandchildren that are on drugs or in jail, a teenage pregnancy somewhere, a neighbor that's sick. Maybe you yourself have come down with health issues that you never dreamed you'd be dealing with. And I'll bet that every one of us could say, yeah, There's an area in my life where I'm struggling to get through it. And you know, life can be tough, can't it? And we look so good on the outside, but inside our hearts are breaking. Um, and I remember as I were raising our children, and once we got into the teenage years, you know, things got a little, things got a little hairy at times. And uh, we used to always say, if the going gets tough, the tough go on vacation. So we would always go up to the White Mountains. I bet a lot of you have been up to the Greer area, have you? Anybody been up to the little town of Greer? Okay, it's just you've got to get up there if you haven't been up there. If you like the mountains, it's got the little Colorado River running right through this little town. Yes, and I'm still talking about Arizona. A river, most amazing thing, and mountains and trees. It's, it's just beautiful, and my mother-in-law had a cabin there, so we made it kind of our family outing to go there at least once a summer, and we'd go hiking along the little Colorado River, and we found this place. It was a big meadow right next to the river, and right in the center of this meadow was a huge pine tree, and it had the great big huge branches that you could actually, you know, like take naps under the branches and play games, and the kids would play in the water and it just kind of became our family place to unwind and get away from the stresses of life well one summer we went up there and the kids ran up ahead and in no time they were back and they said mom dad our tree is dead and I said oh goodness there's no way it was such a big healthy tree so I went up there with them and sure enough here was this big tall I mean I'm guessing I don't know heights very well but a hundred foot pine tree now lying on its side dead and decaying And they said, Mom, what happened? And I said, well, I don't know. But as I walked around the tree, I noticed that the roots for that great big huge tree were maybe 10 feet long. And I said, you know, I think I know what happened. All of its life, this tree just fed on the surface waters of the little Colorado River. And it never put its roots down deep to the rocks of earth that could hold it. So even though it looked great on the outside, Every time a storm would come along, that tree lost its grip a little bit, and it would begin to waver. Another storm would come, and it'd lose its grip a little bit more till it didn't take much of a spring storm at all for that big old tree just to crash to the ground and die. And I couldn't help but think that that reminded me of my life. I was born in a small town in South Dakota, Anybody else ever escaped from South Dakota? <laughs> Woohoo! Two! I used to get one of three. I get one at the most. I'm going, they don't let us out. You know, once they got us, we do not get to get out. But it really was a great place to grow up. I grew up in the Black Hills in South Dakota, not too far from Mount Rushmore, and I rode my horse every day, and I thought I was Annie Oakley. Some days I still think I'm Annie Oakley. And it was just a great place to grow up. You know, I loved my mom and dad very much. And, you know, as little children, where are our roots? 
they're in mom and daddy, aren't they? And, you know, you kind of look at these messed up teenagers everywhere, and, you know, lots of times you can just go back, and there was never security in the first place in their home. Well, I had a great mom and dad. We went to church occasionally, but it really wasn't an important thing in our lives at all. And uh, that's why it's kind of surprising that my favorite thing as a little girl, you know how little kids always want their teddy bear or their blankie or whatever? Well, my favorite thing as a little girl growing up was a tiny green cross. And I got it when I was so little, I don't even remember, but I loved that cross. And it gave me a feeling that maybe there was somebody up there that was looking out after me and, and that cared about me wherever I was. And I just, I just felt special in that person's eyes. So I wore that cross everywhere. Well, you know, um, storms can come along when we very least expect it, can't they? Um, When I was nine years old, I sat down at the dinner table and looked up when I heard a choking sound and saw my father fall from his place at the table of a massive heart attack. And, And you know, that is really hard for any of us to deal with, is to have death just in your face, just like that. But when you're a nine year old child, you can't begin to understand it. And I began to ask questions. Where is my daddy? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? If there is, who goes there and why? But I didn't know enough to ask these questions out loud, to ask my mom. And you know, I find that I'm not the only person that's ever done that. Most of us take these very critical questions in life and we stuff them deep inside and we spend more time planning a two-week vacation than we do figuring out where we're going to spend eternity. But, you know, i got to tell you, ladies, this life is so tough, there isn't one of us that's going to get out of it alive. (laughs) Not one. And one day we will come to that day where we breathe our last breath, and yet we never even consider about seeing the decisions we should make for that time. We stuck it deep inside. Well, I began, as my little tree was growing, to be very fearful. What if something happened to my mom and I became an orphan? What would happen to me? You see, I had put my security in people. And if you haven't noticed, people are not a good place to put your security. They're not a good place to hang on to in the storms of life. People die. People get sick. People move away. People hurt your feelings. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't remember your teenagers. They do. Because people were never meant to hold us. Well, um, when I was 11 years old, my mother remarried. And you'd think that that would give me my security right back, because now i got a mommy and daddy again, right? But the issue that happened was that my father, my stepfather, had absolutely no use for me. It was like I had to come with the mother package, but he really didn't want me. Ladies, you know, inside of each one of us, there is a little girl that wants her daddy to love her, that wants the approval of her father, that wants somebody like a daddy to think that she's adorable and, and cuddle her on his knees. We all have that little girl inside of us, and that's all I wanted. So I decided if I was going to make him pay attention to me, maybe if I were just perfect. Anybody else ever try to be perfect? And how successful were you? <laughs> because I didn't do so hard at it. But I just applied myself to school and I got straight A's and I was the head of this and I was, you know, the chairman of that. But I didn't get the one thing I wanted and that was the approval and the attention of my stepfather. 
how many of us spend all of our lives trying to get people's approval and we put our roots around what people think of us and we live our whole lives depending on their opinions let me tell you ladies people's opinions are fickle They'll like you one day and they won't the next. And to live your life instead of for, your, for, you, for what you were given to live your life, but instead you're living it for people's opinions, you'll never stay steady. So my little tree got a little bit rockier. I did get scholarship offers from across the nation and ended up coming down to school at Arizona State, as a matter of fact. And uh, I'll never forget, I've been wearing that little green cross all these years, and I'll never forget taking it off, putting it in a box, and putting it in my dresser, saying, I don't need that anymore. There's one thing that I've seen over these years, it's that the only person you can depend on is yourself. You know, I'm going to make it my way, I'm going to make myself a success. In fact, our uh, class song was, I did it my way. Anybody <laughs> That was the era. It's all about me. Uh, at any rate, so I went off to Arizona State University, and the first thing I encountered there was failure. Anybody else ever encounter failure? You know, we can put up with a lot of things that happen around us, but failure is something that we feel personally responsible for. You know, failure with our children. Failure in a marriage. Failure financially. That's the big no-no in America. You can't possibly do that. Bankruptcy. And that's what happened to me. I tried to get into 22 different sororities and they all rejected me. Felt like 2,200 women looking at me and saying, sorry, you're not good enough to be our friend. I tried to get onto um, the uh, drama team and wasn't good enough to do that. Tried to get straight A's, couldn't do that. And it just felt like everywhere I went, this person I was going to be, I failed. Well, all I wanted to do was really belong, you know, put my roots around something. And uh, there was a group on campus at that time that the only thing that you had to do to belong was wear bell bottoms and beads and take drugs. And that was the hippies. And... You know, we kind of laugh about them, but to me it was a really sad story because some people were able to get into that lifestyle and get back out. I got into it and became hopelessly addicted to the drugs and couldn't get out. And, you know, um, we laugh a lot about what the hippies look like, but I see modern-day hippies on the streets of Flagstaff every day. Now, their costumes have changed. They've got dreadlocks now where we, you know, didn't do that, and safety pins and tattoos, but they are me. They are people looking for a place to belong. And I, you know, I used to shudder when I see them, and ladies, I don't do that anymore because I know that's me walking down that street. And instead, I pray for each one of those kids that they will find a rock to hold on to that will hold them. Um... After three years, there was really no resemblance between the young woman who had gone off so fresh to college and the young girl that I'd become. My hair was long and and tattered and strangly, and my clothes were dirty and had holes in them, and I was just regularly using any kind of drug that I could get my hands on. Um, I was accepted to an acting school in Canada, and on the way there, I decided to stop and see my mom and dad. And it had been several years since I'd seen them. And, you know, um, I missed my mom tremendously. There's just something about a mother's bond. And I couldn't wait to see her, but I was afraid of what she'd think of me. And I'll never forget coming to our, our door at our house 
and opening the door and yelling out, Hi, Mom, I'm home, and seeing her at the kitchen sink, and her, and her back was to me, and wanting so much for her love to still reach out to me. And she turned around with this big smile on her face at the sound of my voice, and then she took in what I looked like. And the smile just faded away, and a look of horror came on her face. And I thought, oh no, not my mom too. Please don't let her reject me too. But then my mom, being a real mother, she ran to me. She put that smile back on her face, and she held me. She didn't care what I smelled like. She didn't care where I'd been or what I'd done. She just loved me. And I'll never forget her just kind of pushing me back and looking into my eyes and saying, Susan, honey, I feel like I don't even know you anymore. And you know how badly I wanted to say, Mom, I'm in trouble. You know, I really need help. But have you ever realized that sometimes the people you love the very most... The, the, the chasm between you gets so large that, that you don't even know how to begin to cross it with words. You don't know what to say. And so I just kind of shook my head and I said, I know, Mom. I don't know me either. Two weeks later, within, within three days of when I was to leave for Canada, it had been raining the whole time I'd been there, and there was a knock at my bedroom door. And... Uh, I said, who is it? And this voice yells back, let me in. And it was uh, my stepbrother. And he'd come with a stepfather package, and uh, I didn't like him either. <laughs> he didn't like me either. Okay, the whole family was really getting into this. <laughs> but at any rate, he said, you know, my girlfriend just called, and she canceled my date with her. We're supposed to go to the motorcycle races, and I'm not allowed to go without a date. Would you be my date tonight? He was about my age. And I said, absolutely not. First of all, it's pouring rain outside. Motorcycle races are outside. Hello. And I don't particularly like my motorcycle races, and I don't particularly like you. So, no. The answer is no. And he goes, come on, please. You've got to go with me. I really, really want to go. And I said, absolutely not. We got relatives coming over from Gettysburg. We're having dinner. I said, I'm absolutely not going. He goes, I'll give you $10. And I said, okay. <laughs> Grabbed my jean jacket, yelled goodbye to my parents, slammed the door behind me, not knowing that I was slamming the door on my last opportunity to ever tell my mom I left her, to ever tell her, thank you, Mom. Thank you for all you did for me for your love and your care in raising me and pouring yourself into my life because that night in Rapid City, South Dakota there was a massive flood that killed 272 people and my mom and my stepfather my aunt and my uncle and my cousin in fact everybody that was in that house was killed if my stepbrother's girlfriend had not canceled that night I wouldn't be standing here but you see ladies I really believe that there is such a thing as a heavenly father who knows our name and, and I believe that he knows you and he knows your heart and he knows what you're going through even though you look great on the outside and he knew that you needed a message of hope today you needed to be reminded of his unconditional love for you. And that's why I'm here. This day was ordained way back in time, 
so that he could share his love and his hope with you. As we walked out into that night, I didn't know I was walking out into a natural disaster. We were rescued from the water three times before it finally dawned on me that something might be majorly wrong. Um, I wanted just to go home, but the tiny little river that had bisected our town had now swollen to over a mile wide. And I was on one side, and where my parents lived was on the other side, and there were no bridges left standing. And I'll never forget standing at that river. It was about 1 o'clock in the morning, and bobbing on the surface of it um, were homes and trailers and cars, and people were screaming, and in the background, um, the electrical wires had fallen down. And so there were fires that started up, and the smoke and the flames were reflected in the water. And I, I'll never forget that moment, ladies, because number one, I was so helpless to help anybody. Number two, because I couldn't help but think, if there is a hell, this is what it looks like. The next day, a friend drove me 30 miles to the first standing bridge. Uh, and we crossed the bridge and got within two miles of where our home was and had to begin to walk and hike through the the mounds of 30 feet high of mud. We got to where our home was and there was nothing there but a hole in the ground. Let me ask you a question. How much value is there in something that overnight can absolutely disappear? Do you realize that everything my parents gave the very, very best of their time and their talents and their treasure for was gone in one night? One night. Nothing was ever found of our grand piano or our fine silver. Nothing was ever found of the antique furniture. Nothing. How much value is there in the things that we spend the very, very best of our lives trying to get, trying to be, trying to acquire, to impress someone else or get their approval, if it can all be gone? You see, overnight I had become orphaned, penniless, and homeless. Where is a rock to hang on to in the midst of that? And the worst part of it all, ladies, is the hole that was in my heart. Because I knew that if anyone deserved to die, if anybody was imperfect, it was me, not my mother. And the guilt and the shame that washed over me, especially never being able to say, Mother, I love you. And I'm sorry. It was killing me day by day. It took two weeks for them to find her body. And that whole time I held out a hope that she was alive somewhere. That she was maybe in a hospital and we just didn't, didn't know where to look for her. But once they found her body, I didn't want to go on. I know some of you have been there where you just say, I do not have the strength, whatever it's going to take to go on. And that's where I was. I didn't want to live anymore. The only question was, how do I get rid of my life? It was at that time that I was sleeping on the floor of an acquaintance home. And she came to me and she said, there's a man at the door asking for you by name. And I said, there can't be. Nobody knows where anybody is. There's no telephones. You know, there's thousands of homes destroyed. Nobody knows where I am. She said, no, this man asked for you. So I went to the door and there stood a total stranger. And, and he looked me in the eye and he said, you're Susan, aren't you, Susan Hansen? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, I have something that I believe belongs to you. And he handed me this box and then left. 
And um, I looked at the box and I just thought, who was it? I'd never seen him before and I've never seen him since. And this box was all covered with mud and, and it smelled like mold, like everything did. And I just went, what? And I opened it up and the first thing I saw, ladies, was a glimmer of green. And in this box that was in my hand, this box that had been in my dresser, in our home, that not one stitch of it was ever found, in the box was my green cross. Did I deserve that? No. But was there a father who didn't care? He loved me so much anyway that he was willing to go to any extent to give me the hope I needed to believe that I was no longer alone, that somebody cared through thick and thin, through storm and fair skies. Somebody loved me anyway. That same God brought you here today. You know, I put that cross on and I couldn't help but know that there is a God in heaven. It was impossible for that cross to ever get to me. The mounds of mud were 30 feet high. It was impossible. And I knew someone cared. I put that cross on and I'd love to tell you that my entire life changed at that moment. You know, that all of a sudden I just became free of the drugs and the alcohol and whoopee, I was a brand new person. But you know what? It didn't happen. Because you can wear a cross. You can even carry a Bible around. You can even show up at church every single Sunday morning and have a pew named after you. But it won't make a darn bit of difference if that God that you say that you're worshiping, you've never invited him into your heart. That's what makes the difference. It says in the scriptures that even the demons believe there's a God. For him to become your God and your Lord, you have to invite him in and give him back your life. For him to work within you to fill all the empty places. I didn't know to do that. And after five years, I was hospitalized because I was so sick from all the drugs. And I truly had lost everything. That big tree that I'd been growing was on its side, dead and decaying. I'd lost all my friends because addictions will do that. And they don't have to be drugs, lady. They can be gambling. They can be shopping, for that matter. It can be prescription drugs. It can be alcohol. You know, I mean, you can get anything to try to substitute for the love of God. Anything. And, you know, they sent me home to die. And I knew it. I weighed about 25 pounds less than I do now. And they didn't have clinics back then to try to clean you up. And I'll never forget falling on my face on my little trailer and saying, God, I know that you're out there. And I also know that I'm dying. And you know what? There's nothing I can do about it. But I know this isn't the life that you meant for me to live. And you know what? I apparently can't live it, so I just give up. I give up. If you want to do anything with me, you're going to have to take over. You're going to have to change my heart. You're going to have to make me into a different person. Would you forgive me, Lord? And would you help me? Now, that may not have been the most scriptural prayer in the whole world, but God didn't care. He heard my heart. And he came into my heart. And no, nothing changed instantly overnight, but my life began to change. 
I got a phone call within 24 hours offering me a job and a place to live 700 miles away from the drug dealers and where I was living. And I went there and it was a job that was seven days a week. It was 12 hours a day. It was at the Arizona Snow Bowl. And it was the height of the season. And I'll tell you, God put me through his own cleanup clinic. And he got me off of the drugs. And he got me back on my feet again. And one day at a time, I've been able to know him better and love him more. Every day I wake up and I say, who are you? I want to know you. I want to know this God who loved me that much. And it's been the greatest pursuit of treasure in my life. It was not too long after that that I met a man that showed me this book. And he said, Susan, this is the Bible. In it is everything you really need for life and godliness and happiness. And I looked at him and I said, "Uh uh-uh. And he said, no, it really has got everything you could possibly want. It's got so much wisdom in it for life. And it will really introduce you to who God is and what he's really about and what he, how much he loves you. And I said, uh-uh. I said, if that book was that important, somebody would have told me about, about it in college. And nobody ever did. So it couldn't be that important. So I read it to prove him wrong. And you know what? He was right. Later, I married the man. <laughs> About a year ago, he gave me a bumper sticker that said, When I married Mr. Wright, I didn't know his first name was Always. <laughs> but i got to admit, he was right. And this book says three very simple things. Simple as A, B, C. A, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that means, ladies? It means we're not perfect. <laughs> we're not perfect. Hallelujah! It's okay! B, if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Saved from what? Well, you know what? This isn't very politically correct. (laughs) But, ladies, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And when you die, you're going to go to one of two places, heaven or hell. And whether you go to one or the other will all depend on whether or not your imperfection has been swallowed up by Christ's perfection. Do you remember when I was standing by that uh, river and I wanted just to go home? You know, where where there was safety and security. And yet I couldn't get there because the river was in the way. That's the way our lives are. Our Heavenly Father is home. The place that we're loved and accepted and secure. But you see, between us and Him is this wide river of destruction. And it's all of our imperfections. It's all of our sins. It's all the mistakes that we've made. And we can't get. There's no bridges. We can't get from here to there. And God loved us so much that he took his very own son and he sent him over to where we are. And Christ took all that junk and he laid his life down in absolute perfection and allowed us a bridge into our heavenly home. And you know, that is awesome news. But the best news is is it's Christ Jesus and his life is not just for when you die. It's for right now. When you ask Christ into your heart, his very spirit comes within you. You know, we hear about Christ saying things like, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Do you know what? He did that to such an extent he implanted his very spirit in you. The day that you accept him as, as Lord... And he says, everywhere you go, I will be with you. Everything that you go through, I will hold your hand. Every sorrow that you encounter, I will cry with you. I will be with you through every storm. 
And you can hold on to that. He is a solid rock. See, commit your way to the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, I used to think that the desires of my heart were to wear Gucci bags and eat chocolate that didn't have calories. But, you know, the desires of my heart really are to be valuable, to be loved, to have good friends, to have my life mean something. It's valuable to me to have peace of mind, to not look myself in the mirror and be ashamed. And, you know, Christ has given me all that, but I committed my way to him. When I received him as Lord and Savior, I didn't just take that as a casual decision. I was serious about it. And I committed my way. I said, you know what? If you're going to be Lord, take the reins of my life. I'm not going to try to be my God anymore. I will allow you. Now, ladies, I do not know where you are in your life, but I do not want you to do the same thing I did and close the door on your last opportunity to maybe say a prayer that would allow Jesus to come into your heart and give you abundant life. I'm going to ask that we all just bow our heads. And I would ask that you would pray this prayer with me in your heart. You know, ladies, none of us knows what this life is going to hold. We, my mother certainly didn't wake up that morning thinking that that was her last day on earth. Jesus is everything that you're looking for. He is hope and truth and kindness and love and goodness. Yes, we as Christians fail, but Christ himself never fails. Please pray this prayer with me in your hearts. My Heavenly Father, I've always wished I could have a father that really loved me. And you know, maybe it's you. I'm really tired of trying to live this life in my own strength. I've made a lot of mistakes that I'm really sorry about. And I ask that you'd forgive me. And I ask that you would come into my heart and just take over the reins of my life. Just you live in me and through me. I want to know that your spirit of life and strength and power and love is within me. Let me, Lord God, receive you as Lord. I commit my way to you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, ladies, out of that dead tree, somehow new life has sprung. I lost everything. But you know, now I have a beautiful home, a beautiful family. I have friends. But most of all, I have a deep-seated peace that nothing of this world can take away. Jesus Christ has given me all of that. There's a scripture in the book of Ephesians, in that book that I didn't think there was anything in, but there really is. There's a scripture in there that says, um, and I just leave you with this, it's in chapter 3, it says, May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high His love for you really is until at last 
you will be filled up with God himself. Thank you, ladies, for allowing me to share, obviously, something that's really important and personal to me. I pray for his blessings upon each one of your lives, that you would be fruitful. Thank you.